The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. O beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesty above the fruited plain. America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Beloved, we welcome you to this service of worship. The liturgy, music, and homily this day are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here within Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership and service in our midst, and as the Spirit moves come Sunday, your presence with us right here. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it as we are able. May we stand in the praise of God. Thank you. 
May we pray. O God, you have taught us to keep all your commandments by loving you and our neighbor. Grant us the grace of your Holy Spirit that we may be devoted to you with our whole heart and united to one another with pure affection. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved, we come to a moment of confession. In this Lord's Day, we recognize the letter you're about to hear from 2 Corinthians, in which St. Paul is at his most self-disclosive. He suffered from a thorn in the flesh. It may have been epilepsy, though we do not know. And he prayed to be relieved once, twice, thrice, but the response he heard in prayer was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made manifold in weakness. A hard word, a good word, a hard word. As our choir guides us, today especially, we remember in our own experience and in that of others in our community, the abiding, enduring, perduring maladies of life. Let us pray. May God grant us the grace to withstand what we cannot understand. May God grant you the grace to withstand what you cannot understand. Hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 2 through 10. I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told that no mortal is permitted to repeat. On behalf of such a one, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. But if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. 
Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in saying together verses from Psalm 48 with the Antiphon. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. Holy, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within its citadels, God has shown himself a sure defense. Then the kings assembled, they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, pains as of a woman in labor, as when an east wind shatters the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God establishes forever. We ponder your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. Your name, O God, like your praise, reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with victory. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the towns of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion, go all around it, count its towers. Consider well its ramparts. Go through its citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God. 
our God, forever and ever. He will be our guide. Friends, let us stand together to sing the Gloria Patri and listen to the word of the gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, Where did this man get all of this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. And if any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ.
Please be seated. There is a dark temptation in the assumption that the common hope of freedom is really in the hands of somebody else, someone other than you and me. It is falsely reassuring to judge that the real big advances in liberty have been, are, or will be the work of somebody else. Today and this week of Independence Day, we want to remember that the history of our nation tells another story. Our land was populated by people who saw the expanding circle of hope as their own responsibility. With Reinhold Nieper, they defined love as taking responsibility. For the week past, we have been as a family at home in the farmlands of the Empire State due west. On the 4th of July, we sat in a boat three generations watching as fireworks adorned the sky north, south, east, and west, and then the quiet and the dark, and then the, the firmament, the black sky dotted with bits of white, and there the drinking gourd, the Big Dipper, the constellation whose outer stars point to Polaris, the North Star, the way home, the way north, the way out, the way of hope. Our forebears have left us some travel tips on the journey of hope, Mark 6.1. Walk with me for a few minutes due west. Here is a Sunday morning summer vacation trip free of charge and lasting only 20 minutes, a remembrance of hope, perhaps hopeful for us just now in our own time of trial. I'm taking you back home with me this morning. I want you to meet the folks. Once a Southern Methodist preacher paid this compliment, I mean this about your area. The South is a different place than it was 90 years ago, totally different, and the different difference comes from Rochester and Syracuse. Two things have completely changed the southern jurisdiction. Civil rights and air conditioning. Civil rights from Rochester and air conditioning from Syracuse. The story of air conditioning we leave for another day. Our land has given rise to many women and men who did not leave freedom to somebody else. Its price of eternal vigilance they provided in very daily, personal, local, immediate ways. In the same manner by which we might take for granted Niagara Falls, so close and so grand, we might take these mighty stories for granted if we're not careful, saving stories of hope and freedom. Due west is the land of Hiawatha, who causes rivers to run, the name means. Such musical names adorn his geography, Canandaigua, Tiafnioga, Onondaga, Tuscarora, Susquehanna. The great native leader of the Iroquois showed in the 15th century the critical need for union, for space and time in which to live together. His leadership was focused on common hope, on collegial relations, on counsel together, and so he is a harbinger of all the examples of faith and freedom to come up along the Mohawk River and the Erie Canal as Longfellow rhymed, all your strength is in your union, all your weakness in discord, therefore be at peace henceforward and as brothers live together. This is also the land of Harriet Tubman. You may want to visit her home in Auburn, New York. Her neighbor, William Seward, Lincoln's opponent and ally, also from Auburn, bought Alaska, considered at the time a folly, an ice box, Seward's folly. Tubman's grandniece, Janet Lowerson, was on our church staff for a time in Syracuse after we both migrated down from the far no north country, not far from the burial place of John Brown. Brown's body lies moldering on or under a ski lift near Lake Placid. He and Garrett Smith, founder of Peterborough, a village for freed slaves, a short 15 minutes north of our July 4th fireworks, were not compatibilists regarding slavery. As Lincoln would later say, 
They felt those who most affirmed slavery should start by trying it on and for themselves. Peterborough, a small village of people of color in our childhood, still stood out under its Civil War statue a hundred years later as a beachhead of freedom. Brown, Smith, Seward, and others were the chorus before which Tubman could sing out the life of freedom following the Underground Railroad, following the drinking gourd. Remember her wisdom, she said. When I had found I had crossed that line on her first escape from slavery, 1845, I looked at my hands to see if I was the same person. There was such a glory over everything. I started with this idea in my head. There's two things I've got a right to, death and liberty. Twasn't me, twas the Lord. I always told him, I trust you. I don't know where to go or what to do, but I expect you to lead me. And he always did. You will expect to hear something on this trek of Frederick Douglass, who is buried in Rochester. His cemetery plot is across the street from Strong Memorial Hospital. As one patient said one day, looking through the window, it gives you something to think about. Douglas there printed a journal, the North Star, and so developed a voice for a new people in a new era. Eighty years or so later at Syracuse University, it was Professor Roland Wolseley who developed the first national academic program in black journalism across the mid to late 20th century. Wolseley was formed in the faith under the great preaching of the best Methodist preacher in the 20th century, Ernest Fremont Tittle, when Wolseley's young wife was Tittle's secretary. Wolseley was our pastor parish chair in that church and measured sermons according to their likeness or otherwise to those of Tittle. Wolseley lived around the corner from the Carrier Dome and therein a moving tribute to Ernie Davis, a kid from Elmira, who a century after Douglas and in the lifespan of Professor Wolseley gave tragic, courageous, and lasting embodiment to the hope of racial justice, harmony, and integration. He also played some football. The voice of Douglas rings out against the harmonic background of Tittle, Wolseley, Davis, and others. In his journal, The North Star, Douglas wrote, the whole history of the progress of human liberty shows that all concessions yet made to her august claims have been born of earnest struggle. If there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who profess to favor freedom and yet deprecate agitation are men who want crops without plowing up the ground. They want rain without thunder and lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its mighty waters. Or maybe we should give honor to his colleague, his compatriot, his ally, Sojourner Truth, that powerful female preacher who once said, that man says women can't have as many rights as man because Christ wasn't a woman. Well, where did your Christ come from? From God and a woman, man had nothing to do with it. Speaking of which, Susan B. Anthony did not leave the project of freedom to others. I wonder what sort of dinner companion she might have been. Her constant consort with governors and senators across the Empire State made her a kind of early Eleanor Roosevelt. Think a bit about where we have traveled in hope, in the trek toward the North Star, guided by the drinking gourd. Pause just for a summer moment and slake some social and personal and spiritual thirst by remembering real progress in history. My grandmother grew up in Cooperstown and graduated from Smith College four years before she had the right to vote. My mother was born in Syracuse seven years 
after full suffrage. But through this lifetime and today, my wife is a musician and teacher. My sister is a corporate attorney. My other sister is a teacher in medical care. And across a lifetime in service in the church, my top colleagues have been female. I scratch my head to imagine a world without their presence and voices. For instance, Syracuse produced Betty Bone Sheese, one of the first women ordained to ministry in the Protestant Episcopal Church, one of the Philadelphia Eleven. We study her in courses in Introduction to Religion. One rainy day when my daughter Emily was 13 and had the flu, we met Sheese at the druggist. The pharmacist called her name, Sheese. I clambered over to investigate whether it were she, the famous Sheese, who wants to know, she replied. As she left after good banter, she turned in her slicker and toting an umbrella and looking at us, pronounced this blessing, one day you will be a Methodist bishop. At first I thought she was speaking to me, but no, she was speaking to my daughter. Thank you very much, said Emily. Think of Sheese when you visit the birthplace of suffrage and feminism in Seneca Falls. Susan B. Anthony's witness stands out among the witness of so many others. Your grandmother, your mother, your sister, your wife, your daughter, your pastor, Betty Bone Sheese, and so many others. And who can forget Anthony's motto, delivered on her 86th birthday, 1906, failure is impossible, and her challenge, cautious, careful people, always casting about to preserve reputation and social standing, can never bring about reform. Those who are really in earnest must be willing to be anything or nothing in the world's estimation. Sometime, sometimes the freedom train derailed, Exuberance can produce minor collisions. When we get so focused on the speedometer that we forget to drive the car safely, then trouble arises. Woodstock pales by comparison with the communal experiments in this region during the 19th century. The Shaker community and the Oneida community perhaps can bracket our recollection. Under Mother Ann Lee and starting in farm country near New Lebanon in the Albany area, just across the Massachusetts line, the shaking Quakers firmly addressed the matter of sex. They forbade it. Like the Desert Fathers and the Qumran communities of old, they took Paul at his word and meditated fully on 1 Corinthians 7. Women and men came together only once a week on Sunday morning, for ecstatic singing and dancing, hence their name. This made church attendance somewhat more than casual liturgical observance Sunday by Sunday. However, the practice did not amplify the community itself. Infant baptisms lacked the requisite infant, and so were infrequent. Consequently, the Shakers moved to Cleveland, where they blended into Sherwood Anderson's New Ohio, returning to the old ways of hard work, monogamy, and frugality. In short, they became Methodists. But here again, their shaker tune. Tis a gift to be loving. Tis the best gift of all. Like a gentle rain, love falls to cover all. When we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we shan't be ashamed. To turn, turn will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. Now, the Oneidas, you may want to read again without sin the history of their somewhat different experiment. Just a few miles west of New Lebanon, the Oneida community set out to find heaven on earth, the end of all oppressions, and even the hope that, as John Humphrey Noyes read from Revelation, death itself will be no more. Although I went to high school in Oneida, I do not recall a single lesson on the matter of stirpiculture, the heart of the Oneida experiment. 
the Oneidas practiced complex marriage in which every man was married to every woman in the community and vice versa. Procreation was planned through a deliberate committee process. For those of you for whom this is more information than you require, I do apologize. 300 in number at their greatest growth, the community produced bear traps and then silver, continuing in some fashion until just a few years ago. Of all the utopian experiments, the Oneida Project is one of the most fascinating. However, after word got out about the doings and practices in Oneida, clergy in Syracuse banded together and ran them out of town, first to Canada and then to the Midwest. Noise died on the trip and the community disappeared, except in silver, on your dinner table, in wedding gifts, and in the quality, in quality restaurants. But let us be charitable and remember their hope, their love of freedom, as Noyes expressed it, even if we cannot affirm his methods. He said, I am free of sin and in a state of perfection. Beloved, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The faith of Jesus Christ and the freedom of Jesus Christ we celebrate today. Our forebears were disinclined to leave the hope and the pursuit of freedom to others. They seized freedom in their own hands and by their own lives. They did not wait on others. They did not pause to seek a secret blessing. They did not wait on some ethereal sign to emerge. They did not expect some magic insight. And it is their hope of freedom that is our greatest remembrance of them. That is, they followed today's dominical teaching in Mark 6. Notice today that here Jesus fails in preaching but succeeds in pastoral leadership. That is, when you journey toward hope, keep your friendships in good repair. Matthew, excuse me, Mark 6, 7. Travel light. Mark 6, 8. Keep faith close. Faith is the confidence that better things can come out of worse things. 6, 9. Waste no time. 6, 10. When rejected, shake the dust from your feet and move on. 6, 11. And keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus Christ has come to guide us true north. Guide us by the drinking gourd. Guide us on the journey of hope. And we're not there yet. Of course not. It is hope that we seek. And hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? We hope for what we do not see and wait for it with patience. Real love is taking historical responsibility on the journey of hope. In earshot of our Lord's teaching, in remembrance of the freedom and hope of our forebears, there is no avoiding a very personal question. As a Christian woman or man, what are you going to do to continue to expand the circle of hope and freedom in our time? Where is your Polaris, your North Star, your drinking gourd? Where is your tribal council to create? Where is your slavery to escape? Where is your North Star to publish? Where is your franchise to find? Where is your libertinism to avoid? Where is your hope to share? Are you to celebrate independence, say, this week by singing and smiling only? Or will you lift a hand? From the rear of Marsh Chapel, if he could speak, our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, would remind us of our own calling. On a windswept cold November day in 1863, following a two-hour oration, he spoke for less than two minutes, saying, Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty, dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation 
so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that the nation might live. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it far beyond our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be dedicated here to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that great cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. Follow the drinking gourd, follow the drinking gourd, left foot, peg foot, Traveling on, follow the drinking gourd. Dear friends, as we turn our hearts and minds to prayer, I uh, invite you to assume an attitude or posture of prayer according to your tradition by remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. Our prayers today come from a hymn text by Shirley Irina Murray entitled Carol of the Refugee Children. My thanks to countertenor Doug Dodson for the referral. Away and in danger, no hope of a bed. The refugee children, no tears left to shed. Look up at the night sky for someone to know that refugee children have no place to go. The babies are crying, their hunger awakes. The boat is too loaded, it shudders and breaks. Humanity's wreckage is thrown out to die. The refugee children will never know why. Come close, little children. We hold out our hand in rescue and welcome to shores of our land, in touching, in healing your fear and your pain, with dreams for your future when peace comes again. 
Eternal light, shine into our hearts. Eternal goodness, deliver us from evil. Eternal power, be our support. Eternal wisdom, scatter the darkness of our ignorance. Eternal pity, have mercy upon us, that with all our heart and mind and soul and strength, we may seek your face and be brought by your infinite mercy to your holy presence. Amen. And as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. peace of the Lord be always with you. Dear friends, I greet you once again here in the nave of Marsh Chapel and invite you to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew, passing that book along to your neighbors so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We are happy to have you here in the midst of our summer preacher series here at Marsh Chapel. We look forward to seeing you back throughout the summer months uh, through the end of August as that series continues on our theme, Toward a Common Hope. In slightly less hopeful news, it is incumbent upon me today to share with you that uh, for those of you who were with us last summer, you will be experiencing a bit of deja vu as Commonwealth Avenue is closed for bridge construction beginning on July 26th. In spite of that fact, we will be here, uh, here live at Marsh Chapel on Sunday mornings and encourage you to be here with us as well. More information about the bridge closer from July 26th through August 11th is available in a note in your bulletin, in a special insert to your bulletin, or on the BU website at bu.edu slash capbridge. Parking is available for those who are driving by coming down Bay State Road, Buses and shuttles are uh, also available for com those coming by public transportation. Uh, the logistics of all of that is just a bit more complicated than usual. We encourage you to attend to those details uh, in the coming weeks. As the ushers wait upon us for our morning offering, we invite you to meditate on William Byrd's setting of the introit for Corpus Christi, Chibavit Eus. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Almighty God, as we bring before you ourselves and these gifts, weak though they may be, give us the courage and conviction to boast in the power of Christ, so that they and we may be of some use in this troubled world. And we pray these things enlivened by your spirit and in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, creator, redeemer, sustainer, be and abide with each one of us now and always. Amen. 